to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are back this week to study with you in the Doctrine and Covenants in sections 129 through 132. You ready for this, Zach? You're ready. He's 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 crotchety tonight, <laughs> and we just had to look up the definition because he ex- he describes himself as crotchety a lot, and I just said irritable, irascible, tetchy. That's a nice word. Testy, grumpy, grouchy, cantankerous, curmudgeonly. I like curmudgeonly. Those are all words that describe <laughs> that describe, Those describe you me after ten o'clock late at night. <laughs> So we have been on a kick. I don't know if we have mentioned this either, but we have been on a kick of recording the podcast in the morning and it has been life changing. I don't know if anyone has noticed it as you've listened, but for us, it has been proof to me that my early mornings are so much, not even necessarily early mornings, just the morning hours are more productive than the evening because we record at night, have recorded at night for probably, what would you say, like at least 75% of our episodes have been late at night. And I don't know if it's Zach or someone else that does the podcast. (laughs) Someone else. (laughs) That has emotional breakdowns (laughs) during podcast recording. (laughs) I don't know who the other person might be, but um, the early morning thing has changed it for us. It has made things much better. And Zach is not crotchety in the morning. That only happens at night. So there you go. You have a new vocabulary word that you learned in the episode today and hopefully some other things. Well, thank you for that introduction. <laughs> at least we're laughing now. There we go. At least you're not angry I'm now. Not you can you can be, we can do this. So here we go. Well, this is a really fascinating uh, study this week. Because unlike almost every section we've studied so far this year, a lot of these sections are not a um, delivered and transcribed revelation. Uh, It's not a letter from Joseph Smith like the last couple of weeks have been. And it's also not a revelation that was received and orated and transcribed on a single setting. These are collections of teaching snippets from here and from there that Joseph gave at various occasions in and around Nauvoo that were recorded by his friends, by church historians, uh, and then compiled in these sections. And so as you read, if you dive into the historical context for these, you see there's just different situations that he's in. And the doctrines that surface were so poignant or interesting um, or life-changing to people that they record them. And This then happens to be one of the most, if not the outright most, doctrinally dense studies we have had thus far in the Doctrine and Covenants. Just to give a brief list of some of the doctrinal topics in these sections, we have how to discern spirits, the physicality of God, the reckoning of God's time, ministering angels, the celestialization of the earth, Names, stones, and key words needed to pass by in angelic centuries. The date of the second coming. The nature and intelligence of immaterial or spirit matter. Uh, the composition of the Holy Ghost. The requirements for the kingdoms of glory. Receiving the more sure word of prophecy, or in other words, being sealed to eternal life. The new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And, of course, plural marriage. So these sections are 
a field day for anyone that uh, likes to go hunting for quote unquote deep doctrine. Well, and you mentioned that a lot of these were almost in those question and answer settings. Mm -hmm. And you can really, as you read these, you can kind of see that. Like those topics, many of those that you just read, I can just picture those being questions that people had then of clarifying questions. And so it's kind of interesting the way that to hear those listed off that way. So even though they might be interesting for, for anyone that has kind of a, a practical bend that uh, I think we both share, they can be a little bit difficult because they're, some of these teachings uh, are, are so uh, different from what we normally study and what we normally discuss in our gospel uh, conversation. Uh, and some of them so foreign to our experience that uh, studying them is difficult and can create, at the very best, maybe some questions, but at the worst, possible confusion, uh, internal turmoil, contention with others, etc. And so what we want to do this episode is something a little bit different. We don't want to look at these doctrines uh, on the surface uh, because you'll have discussions like that in your ward or with others or just in your personal study. You'll look at the footnotes and the cross-references and, and have some great insights that come to you about each of these individual topics. What we want to do is provide a framework based on our own experience, no more expertise than that, and a little bit from these sections, on how we might approach difficult topics, difficult doctrines, um, that can help us navigate them, maybe feel a little bit more okay with them than we might otherwise feel, and be a little bit better at uh, moving through and and uh, incorporating them into our lives. And in particular, on that list that Zach mentioned, obviously plural marriage is going to be one of the difficult chap- difficult sections that we're going to talk about, and that's mostly in section 132. Although some of the other, I don't think that there's anything necessarily um, difficult with some of the others we mentioned. I think they can also have this more, um, kind of fringe teaching. Yeah. A little bit deeper that maybe some people just aren't as interested in. Like Mm -hmm. you mentioned, I do tend to be much more practical, so I don't necessarily dig into that sort of stuff in that way. Um, so anyway, it's just a lot of interesting, um, doctrines or teachings or answers in, in these chat, in these sections for sure. So to start, we want to discover what doctrine actually is. Uh, there's a very simple definition of doctrine, one of my favorite that was uh, given by Elder Bednar a couple of years ago. And he just said simply, doctrine refers to the eternal, unchanging, and simple truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I really like those three qualifiers of doctrine. Eternal, which means it deals with God unchanging, which means it doesn't change, and simple, which means it's not complex. By converse, uh, if you run into a statement that either does not deal with God or our relationship with him, uh, is changeable, and maybe perhaps most easy to recognize, is complex, by Elder Bednar's definition, that doesn't qualify as doctrine. I think it's really important that we maybe as we study this word, um, just remove the baggage surrounding the word doctrine. I think we talk so, maybe we just use the word a lot. It's 
obviously it's in doctrine and covenants. It's, is this our church doctrine? They're not teaching correct doctrine or there's just so many ways that we use it. And one of the things as we were studying is I just thought, do I even really know what the definition of doctrine is? What is it? And I think that reminding ourselves of what it truly means, um, that it's simple, unchanging, and eternal can be helpful for us. And even just examining maybe the way that you have used the word in the past can help erase some of the confusion that you'll feel in that. I yeah. don't know. No. Does that make sense? I think that's great. And I think it's also helpful to understand not just what doctrine is, but what doctrine does. Um, I studied a little bit this week um, some related verses and uh, two that stand out to me that I think help illustrate what doctrine does. This is Deuteronomy chapter 32. Give ear, O ye heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. My doctrine shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender herb, and as the showers upon the grass, because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto him. A very similar metaphor is used by Isaiah uh, chapter 55, we love verses 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. But then verse 10. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it to bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. What doctrine is, is simple, eternal, unchanging truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What doctrine does is give us uh, nourishment, strength, instruction. It is meant to benefit us. Doctrine isn't arbitrary. It has a purpose, and God gives us his doctrine, his word, his law, uh, whatever synonym you want to use for that, to help us grow and develop so that we can become like him. And that may seem overly simplistic, especially when we're heading into sections where there are some uh, somewhat out there uh, teachings. But I think basing our study on that home plate of simple, eternal, unchanging truths that God gives to help us grow can really help us uh, stay focused and navigate the trickier sections a little bit easier. So with that understanding in mind of what doctrine is and what it does, the invest question that we want to ask this episode is all focused on one word that shows up repeatedly, specifically in section 132. And it's a tricky word to pin down, and it's an especially tricky word if you were... Uh, if you're Emma Smith, to whom section 132 was given, if you haven't read the background of section 132, um, this is Hiram Smith, who has just recently learned about and come to wrap his mind and heart around plural marriage, uh, coming to his brother, Joseph Smith, knowing that there is a tension between Joseph and Emma on the topic of plural marriage. And so Hiram goes to Joseph and says, if you will write down this revelation, I will take it to Emma and I can convince her. And Joseph's somewhat famous response is, you don't know Emma like I do, meaning uh, Emma is not to be persuaded by anybody. Uh, Hiram's assured that he can do it, so Joseph 
uh, orates section 132. It's transcribed. William Clayton, uh, Hiram Smith then takes it to Emma. And just as Joseph predicted, it does not uh, move the dial in any way on Emma's acceptance of plural marriage. There was some tacit acceptance of plural marriage uh, for a month or two um, where Emma seemed to be, if not in agreement with it, then at least allowing it. Uh, but for most of, of uh, their relationship and for most of her awareness of plural marriage, Emma was not uh, a proponent or, or accepting of plural marriage. And so the word abide in section 132 is a tricky one because in some contexts it's used to Joseph and to Emma to tell them to abide this law, to keep it, to follow it. And by it, the accounts that we have, they both did their best to do that. Um, I like section 132, verse 14. Whatsoever things remain are by me, and whatsoever things are not by me shall be shaken and destroyed. As we mentioned, one implication of that verse is uh, whatsoever things remain, doctrine is unchanging, and so true doctrine lasts. But I think a, uh, an important implication for us, maybe a more important one, is the need for us to figure out how to abide, how to remain when we run into questions or doubts or topics that cause us confusion or inner turmoil. And so that is really the question that we're asking for this episode is, how can I abide in my beliefs when I have questions or doubts? For me, as I answer that question, um, I really like the definition of abide as continuing the course. And I think that's how I felt as we've studied the Doctrine and Covenants this year. In the beginning, if you've been with us since the beginning of this year, one of the things that I was focusing on early on in the study was not shying away from some of the hard things that we were going to come upon in the Doctrine and Covenants. And at first, that was just the hard language of the Lord chastising his people or saying um, hard prophecies of destruction and things like that. And that felt hard. But I really wanted to get to know that language that the Lord was using in those in those revelations. And now as we move further and further along, and here we come upon probably one of the hardest, maybe for me, one of the hardest teachings um, of history that has been really hard for me to grapple with is polygamy. And so I can kind of just see that growing is that that abiding, that to continuing the course and getting to know that sometimes things feel uncomfortable. In fact, that's what I wrote in my scriptures as I was reading is, this is hard to read and uncomfortable. <laughs> but I like that idea of continuing the course because my experience is that when I hit difficult things, which for me seems like a lot, but I'm sure that's how all of us feel, is that if I continue the course, if I don't stop, if I abide in it and think about it and study it out, um, it becomes something that is uncomfortably good. <laughs> Zach, can you explain that a little better? Maybe you have a better language to it. I would say goodly uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, goodly comfortable. Much better. <laughs> Much better, Zach. Um, but I think for me, as I have felt myself 
in uncomfortable places, I've also felt this tremendous amount of growth because it's helped me to look deeper in myself, to look and in a more in at the world with more compassion and to see that there's not always a yes or a no or a right or a wrong, but to see those gray areas has added so much richness to to my heart and my life and to my faith too. Well, I think we read this last week, and if we did, I apologize. If we didn't, then we should have. Uh, so this is an old section, but in 128 verse 21, at the end of the verse, the Lord says he gives line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. But then he explains that he this is Joseph writing, that he gives us consolation by holding forth that which is to come, confirming our hope. And what you're describing sounds to me like um, your our experience this year is learning line upon line and precept upon precept and growing. And uh, a major part of that is not stopping when you hit something uncomfortable, but continuing that course. And that more understanding, light, and truth does come, and that that's a hopeful thing. It lets us know that we don't know everything now that we will know tomorrow, and uh, that God is constantly revealing more things to us that help us to understand even the most difficult things a little bit better. Well, maybe even better than that quote about growth and the comfort zone that I don't really know that I already said, um, is the analogy, I don't know why this came to my mind, but I remember waking up as a kid with horrible knee pains. You know those grow, and your parents would always say, well, they're just growing pains. And I say that to my kids now, but they really hurt. And it was really achy as a kid. And I think that I have those a lot as an adult because we're still growing. It's that adult development that takes us through these different phases of understanding ourselves and understanding the world. And I think that can also be help the uncomfortable places when you realize that most often when you're going through something painful like that it's it's a really it's a growing time in your life and for me that's what happens with my faith too well you mentioned a fruit that you've received as you've been through that that i think is really key and that is understanding that very few things in life fit into a binary situation of right and wrong good and evil black and white Um, there is almost always a third option most often a fourth option, a fifth option, a sixth option. Uh, And so Joseph Smith was not either a perfect prophet or a lying deceiver. Uh, He was a human who was fallible. Uh, We were talking about this before. I don't know of a prophet in scripture that is chastised more often for his sins and his shortcomings than Joseph Smith. And or at yet, least that he chose to publish it exactly, in his... <laughs> exactly. And yet, at the same time, we have section 135, which we'll study in a couple of weeks, that uh, saved Jesus Christ only. Joseph Smith has done more for the salvation of man than anyone on the earth. He can be both at the same time. It's not an either or. And understanding that that's the way life is, is a really healthy thing. It removes the fairy tale aspect of our understanding of scripture and scriptural history. It's not just heroes and villains. It's people trying to understand God, and and it adds a reality to it. Um, The more uh, binary something is, the more it looks like it should be in a children's book. The more real it is, the more it looks like it should be in our lives. And that's me when I get whiny about things. It's like, but I just want there to be two cups because it's so much easier (laughs) to just put it here and here. But we all know that's not how life is, and it's uncomfortable. But I think it's 
incredibly rewarding to grow in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a great answer to the question of continuing the course. One that I found that from my experience has really helped me is uh, section 132, verse 3. Before the Lord reveals this uh, massive revelation, not just on plural marriage, but on eternal marriage, of which uh, in this context, plural marriage was a part. He gives this commandment, verse 3, Therefore, prepare thy heart to receive and obey the instructions which I am about to give unto you. It's interesting how often in the scriptures the heart is used in conjunction with understanding or receiving. We receive something in our heart. We understand something in our heart. We ponder something in our heart, which conveys that uh, the way that we feel and maybe choose to feel about a particular topic or question is at least as important as what we know or choose to believe. And so for me, the things that have helped me to understand, um, to navigate and to abide uh, my faith when things get tricky is looking at my feelings, uh, what's going on inside of my heart. And two particular feelings uh, have helped me as I've approached difficult topics. The first one is patience. At the end of section 132, uh, there's this unadorned, but I think really insightful verse uh, where the Lord declares, And now, as pertaining to this law, verily, verily, I say unto you, I will reveal more unto you hereafter. Therefore, let this suffice for the present. Uh, It kind of goes with what you were saying earlier about continuing because there's more down the road. Uh, In order to get down the road, we have to be patient. Uh, I was studying for a different uh, situation earlier this week how the Nephites were uh, found to make the Liahona work. And if you look back in 1 Nephi chapter 16, it says that it worked according to their faith, diligence, and heed. And as I studied those three things, I have a pretty, I think, clear understanding of what it meant for them to have faith. Uh, and what it meant for them to give heed. But diligence has always been a difficult one to kind of nail down. So a cross-reference I found that helped identify that was in section 21 of the Doctrine and Covenants when it's describing Joseph as a seer. The church is commanded to give heed to what he says and to give uh, to be faithful to what he says. But then in place of the word diligence, it uses the word patience. I think because the things that we are studying, because these doctrines are eternal and they deal with God, and because we're just humans trying to understand those eternal truths, um, because this is such a long-term exercise that we're engaged in, we have to be patient. There's a reason why Alma, in his famous experiment on the seed, told us that we have to try and experiment which connotes working and practicing and reworking and trying again and experimenting some more. And then he says that we shouldn't pull up the seed because of our doubt or unbelief. If you go out into the garden, you're always pulling up the seeds to see if they're growing. They never grow. Patience is what's needed. And as I've had that in my heart, if I hit something difficult to think, I don't know everything now, there are plenty of people out there like me that are asking this question and seeking for answers and Over the past 100 years, even over the past 10 years, we do know more about our past and our history and our teachings than we did before. And so I can look forward with patience and hope to what's coming, knowing that 
I'll probably know a bit more tomorrow than I do today. Speaking of the the binaries, isn't this one of them that you just kind of think, okay, I've got this question. It needs to be answered right now because mm-hmm. I have the question. Um, but isn't that kind of a one of those hard things to learn in life is that that's just not the way it works, that patient, that it takes time to get answers. It takes time to well, do everything. And sometimes that time is so, can be so frustrating. Um, But I think that's such a good key is to remember that things are not going to be answered right then and to be patient with yourself too, that if something comes up that is hard, um, that we can sit with it. And that's part of the process is practicing that patience. Yeah, yeah. The second feeling I found helpful to choose to keep in my heart as I approach difficult topics is charity. Um, this, I think, is a an emotional verse in section 132. It's verse 56, written to Emma. Again, verily I say, let my handmaid forgive my servant Joseph his trespasses. Again, another example of Joseph being called out in Scripture by the Lord for trespasses, for his humanity and Emma being commanded to forgive him. And at this point in their relationship, that would have been an extremely difficult thing to do. However, one of the great witnesses of the church is the fact that Emma was loyal to the prophet uh, and uh, spoke of him in in love and respect and adoration until the end of his life and until the end of her life. Um, I think in that verse, there are three great little mini implications. The first, it is okay to acknowledge that Joseph Smith, like President Nelson, like everybody else, is human and makes mistakes. We've covered that ground in the last couple of podcasts, uh, last couple of episodes, I think pretty thoroughly. But two, there is an assumption here that Joseph, like President Nelson, and like most the rest of us, is a good person. And I know that seems maybe really basic. However, most of the problems that people have with church history with Joseph Smith come when they start believing negative assumptions about the prophet. Uh, And when you view someone with negative assumptions, it's very, very difficult to retain an optimistic view of them and to have any degree of confidence or trust in them. But most people are good. In fact, most people are really good. They want good things. They want to do good things. And of course, they make mistakes and their view of what's good is different from our view of what's good. But People are good, and Joseph Smith is not an exemption. He was a good person wanting to do good things, and I believe divinely inspired to bring about great things on the earth for the people that lived near him and the people that would follow after him. I see that in him. It seems like Emma saw that in him, and so did so many other people that met him. With those two things in mind, then the third implication from this verse is we should be willing to extend to Joseph Smith, to President Nelson, to anybody else, both the freedom for them to be human and a willingness to see in them goodness and kindness. I think to me that's charity, a willingness to see someone's humanity and to uh, greet them and view them with optimism and kindness. And so having both those things in my heart, patience and charity, helps me to be able to navigate those tricky topics. I love that idea. Just as we lend, should be trying to lend forgiveness to 
the people that we live with today that are in our our homes and our communities and our families that um, as we study history and as we look back on things that we that have happened in the past that are hard for us to hear or hard for us to understand that um, looking at a person or a situation from all angles I think can be help us in those uncomfortable situations yeah yeah well, you will, of course, have your own um, answers to this question. How can I abide my beliefs when I have doubts or questions? But if I can offer a connect, um, it's simply to apply at least one of these that we've talked about. This is section 130, verse 19. If a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through diligence and obedience, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. And a little bit earlier on in that section, it clarifies that the world to come, verse 9, will be Christ's. Um, whether it's a need to uh, continue the course, whether it's a need to make an adjustment uh, in the feelings you have, uh, or whether it's an application that comes from something you find an answer to that question, Consider making a small adjustment in your thinking or feeling um, as you approach difficult topics, questions. And if you haven't, you will. And making that adjustment now can prepare you for those moments. Thank you so much for studying with us this episode and this week. We'll see you next week.